Hi, everybody. Welcome to another Park Report podcast interview. This is Roy Avon. Hope everybody's doing okay out there. Another great interview for you today. Uh, my guest today, you may know from the band Saigon Kick. He's a great singer and guitar player and songwriter and producer. He has a brand new album on the way called Songs for the Apocalypse. Comes out on January 22nd and features a lot of great guests, including Devin Townsend, Bumblefoot, Todd LaTorre, Dave Ellison, and others. Really pleased to welcome Jason Beeler. Well, great to have you on the podcast, man. How are you? I'm doing awesome, man. Thanks so much for having me. I had a chance to listen to your record, obviously. 2021, Songs for the Apocalypse, uh, a little too on the nose, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Yeah, it was a little more tongue-in-cheek when I was writing the record. <laughs> That's uh, an amazing title for uh, for coming out uh, this month. Uh, January twenty second. Yeah, we we haven't hit that. We haven't hit the twenty second yet. So I could still be very on yeah, the nose. I'll, unfortunately, yeah, There's maybe too close. Days left for this this all to just not <laughs> you know, me to be standing in the ashes with the record that I finally made. Made a career record finally, and like no one's alive. Well, you know the band. Uh, this has been this band Haken. I, I don't know if you're familiar with that. Oh, put out put out an album called Virus. Like that came out about like the month after the virus hit. You know, yeah. and. They had that title in the artwork and the concept planned, you know, a year prior. And there, there you go. Uh, but uh, look, the album is the album is uh, amazing. Um, look, I'm an admitted big Saigon Kick fan. Um, we've talked about that before, and I love the stuff you've done. I love the music. So anybody, for one, that's familiar with Saigon Kick and likes that kind of stuff, is going to love this record. But also, it does have a lot of cool prog elements, which is why. We've helped promote it on the site and why I want to make sure our audience is aware of it. Um, a lot of great guests, but I want to talk about how you approach this record. I mean, you did a lot, you've done a lot of solo things sort of on your own, some being acoustic, things like that, but this is your first kind of, I don't know, maybe record label type of album in a while, right? So what brought you yeah, back to doing it? my first official solo record. Right. Right. Um, I guess after, I mean, I had run the label for a long time that we can get into that in a bit. But um, after that, after being on a major label with Saigon Kick and running the career like that and being in a band and that whole dynamic and then running a label and working with a ton of amazing bands like bands like Sixth and Carnival and Skindred and Nonpoint wow. and having a whole experience like that. And then kind of coming uh, to a point with that where I realized I hate everybody that works in the music industry, bands, labels, musicians, <laughs> radio, like I hate everybody. So I was like, I'm just going to sit in my house and do this writing experiment where within 24 hours, I'm going to write, release, you know, uh, mix and master and put it up on a band camp thing, not commercial aspirations, more from the sense of like a writing experiment where I just wanted to really focus on writing. And the best way to do that is to write a lot. And, uh, and, and, uh, it started to build this little kind of cult, uh, following. I was really pleasantly you know, thrilled with it. And it worked out well for me because I tend to like, like to move on very quickly. So I was able to like, you know, upload something at, you know, whatever, three in the morning, you know, getting feedback by, you know, within minutes, I dig it, don't like whatever. And then, so I wound up doing like 150 songs. Wow. In about, about two years. Um, and over that time period, having conversations and I, I started doing stuff on the Monsters of Rock Cruise and, and, uh, you know, wound up meeting Nick Teeter and he was having conversations and I was like, well, you know, if I, if I do something with Nick, the advantage is that I'll have a deadline and people expecting something. So I'll have this kind of sense of, I have to finish something. There's, there's, there'll be kind of this, 
you know, this, this guardrail of you have to do it. You, you've obligated yourself to these people, which was obviously really helpful. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of the direction at some point. So it all came to this point where I was like, you know, let me try to, you know, focus on it and do the full record now that I've kind of spent all this time experimenting and writing and writing and writing and see how it's all kind of come together. Yeah. So, and that's on Frontiers. So Nick is, is mm-hmm. Frontiers Records. And uh, no, king of prog labels, I believe. I think they're 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 the most cutting edge progressive metal. <laughs> if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> Fought, yeah, maybe just a, maybe just a little bit uh, dipping their toes in the in the prog waters. Uh, but uh, you, you do have a lot of cool guests on it. But at what point was the guest thing like? You know, did had you written the whole album and started recording things, and then I need a I need a guitar solo here, so let me call this guy, or how do you work that? <laughs> It started with um, I, I started writing the record in March and then finished it by May with everybody uh, in terms of all the guests and everything wow. and mixing. That's fast. So when Nick started talking to me about it, I was like, I guess it had been January or February. I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to call like 25, 30 of my buds under the in my head. This is just before the pandemic had started. But I was like, in my head. Most of them are going to say, well, we're on tour or I'm in the middle of doing my record or and I'll get three or four of my buddies and they'll contribute. It'll be awesome because there's a lot of people I love and I'm a fan of that I want to work with. Long story short, like everybody wound up saying yes, which was just beyond thrilling to the point where there's even other people that I wanted to do stuff with that I didn't get a chance to because of, you know, I think Frontiers towing in the water with me was not going to be a four album first, you know, (laughs) you know like an opus of a right. music so um and then um you know i don't think if i would have planned it it would have worked out really well what i did the, the 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 best credit i'll take is that i picked amazing musicians that i knew were music people um it wasn't so much because of anybody's name because as thrilled as i am to work with all these people i don't think ultimately people go out and go oh my god there's guests on a record I'm going to go buy that record. You know, I, I, I kind of felt like the songs had to live up to that. And then I knew these guys were kind of all magical in their own ways in terms of their contributions. So it kind of, na- I didn't like, you know, really plan it out that much. But as songs came in, I was like, oh, this would be great for Devin. You know, that Devin was even talking about playing bass on something at one point. And then I was like, well, you know, but Bumblefoot was going to do that. So let me switch it. And then Devin, can you do? And it just kind of all, and everybody fell into their spots and, and I mean, to a person, every time I opened a file, the other weird thing was like I was hoping because all these guys are just badasses in their own right that, oh, my God, like I just asked this guy to contribute to my record. If I open a file here now and it's like not right. Right. That's going to be horrible because I that's the last thing. So every time but every time and in this particular case, I mean, everybody just killed it. Like every time I opened a file, like that's something I would have never thought of. And just brilliant, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, you have Todd Latore playing drums, and he's a, I mean, maybe some people don't know this, but he's an amazing drummer. Um, yeah. Aside from just a ridiculous singer, and uh, and like you said, Devin Townsend plays a, a just a killer guitar solo. He's not known for doing a lot of guest spots that I'm aware of. So that's one of the no, really I mean, cool things. We had become friends over the last couple of years. I mean, I've always been aware of what he's done. I've been a fan of. We wound up somehow tweeting back and forth and he had mentioned that he had seen a Saigon kick show in Vancouver in like 91 and, really? and we just became buds. And then he came through town a couple of times. We hung out and uh, super kind of him, you know? Yeah. To, to, uh, to tribute. Speaking about putting uh, an album out on a label again, 
And uh, like you said, having had success with having your own label and and really having, uh, you know, I guess it was what, early 90s Saigon Kick was was on Atlantic, um, yeah. uh, you know, on a major label and all that. How do you look at putting out a record in the Spotify age? I mean, is it just horrifying? <laughs> you know, I mean, how do you approach I mean, it? One, I am sure I'm, I am like Frontier's biggest nightmare of all time. They've been wonderful to me, but because I know where the bodies are buried, right? <laughs> um, it doesn't make me very, you know, like it, it, you normally. And I've had to give the speech to different bands, you know, but it's a. Uh, so I'm sure Nick's about right. He's probably got a dartboard up of me in his house, ready, you know, he's firing all kinds of horrible things. Um, but I mean, the real thing for me was to make the record. I mean, I know it sounds like a silly focus or goal, but to get to work with all these different people, you know, Clay Cook and, and Clint Lowry, and, you know, you can go through the whole, all the names, Butch Walker and everybody, to make and do something creative with them and have them dig it and meet and, and, all, and us all feel was like, this is really cool, was the biggest reward. So, like, everything that's happened post that has been, like, amazing to me. Like, like now I'm like, oh, that's so, like, you know, seeing the Spotify love on these brand new types of playlists, prog metal players, which... The greatest thing about that, those people have no idea where I'm from or what the past right. is. You know, if you said Saigon Kick to them, they'd be like, was that some kind of snack cake or <laughs> what, what What are you talking about? Um, so to, to develop a whole new crowd is like amazing. And that's all wonderful stuff. But the real focus of me was just to try to, I wanted to do something that Devin was like, Beeler, you know, that's right. that's a cool tune, you know? I mean, so to get that feedback from all these David Ellison and those people was so, it's already a success for me. Anything that happens from this point forward is just like. Do you still do the label? Do you still work with with other bands and stuff? I have the label, um, and we still been kind of. I'm always actively looking for stuff, um, and I didn't realize at the time how fortunate I was to run into what I believe was just some of these amazing. Like I think Sixth, along with maybe Mashuga, were really the the, the the kind of birth of what is now progressive metal, which became periphery and uh, animals as leaders and uh, all this kind of stuff. Uh, Skindred, I think the world of, a carnival speaks for themselves. Um, to be involved with all those guys and be able to help in some way, like as a fan, just like when I heard those bands for the first time, I was like, how does not everybody know this is brilliant? So um, when I find stuff like that, I want to get involved, um, not to disrespect anybody's new stuff, it's just been a little bit since I've done that. And also I want to make sure in this particular climate, like you were talking about, can I help it? You know, right. does, 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 does me being involved, is that going to help the band be bigger? Is there something I can do um, to add to there? Because a lot of times my advice to bands is just do your own thing. I mean, why do you want a label? Um, some labels are great at what they do. And, you know, if you get into some of the niche stuff, it's, you know, niche stuff, it's, it's, it's great. But, uh, yeah, I just want to make sure I can. I mean, help. Frontiers. If you're if you're a band that does what Frontiers does, then that could work for you. Or if you're if you're a prog band, maybe which, it's Inside which Out. Is why or, I which, which don't is, do what they do and <laughs> said that's the label for me. <laughs> right. Well, can, but that's that's where it sometimes can make some sense. You're right, but but you you know part of how you you're saying like you put out a record because you just want to make sure the record's good and then whatever happens happens. That's almost the approach that you got to have these days. You got to, you actually kind of have to want to just make the music to make the music and then hope you people know, like it. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the only thing that's in your control is to make the record as good as you can make. Um, obviously it's super nice to hear people say positive things. Um, I don't, you don't get much luckier than me. I mean, I've been a professional musician since I'm 18 years old. I haven't had a regular job 
And I always say in almost all my interviews, there's a lot of super talented musicians that are working construction. Um, but I've always been into the music. So when Saigon Kick was small, I loved making music. When we had our hits, it was an unbelievably great ride. When that went away, I was making music. Uh, I was involved in music. Uh, I, so that, that's the reward. I mean, I love making music. Obviously, it's great now again having this interest bubble start to come up again and people discovering it feels nice. It's warm and fuzzy. But, you know, if this record didn't happen, I'd be here making music. I mean, yeah. it's just, that's where my head's always been. Uh, I'll talk a little about the uh, the songs. Um, so the first two singles, uh, Apology and uh, Bring Out Your Dead, both two cool rocking tracks. I mean, Apology was really a great lead off song. It's the first song on the album and it's very Saigon kick, right? I mean, that's sort of like that has that whole harmony vocal thing that you used to do. Is that where you're most at home? That style? Like, is that just in your bones? That kind of sound? I think, yeah. I mean, I don't consider myself a singer. Um, I, I, like I said, name dropping all over the place, but Jeff Scott Soto, Jeff is a singer. Todd Latore is a singer. Like when those guys open their mouth, you're just like, uh, but I do think I have a sound to what I do. Sure, and, yeah. um, and that some of my favorite artists are like that. I mean, you know, like, I mean, Perry Farrell is one of my favorite singers and, you know, I don't know if you'd call him Ronnie James Dio, right. uh, in a vocal battle. I don't know if he'd win on America's Got Talent, <laughs> but for my money, Tom Waits is a badass. For my money, Perry Farrell is as good as it gets. I mean, so, um, and those guys have sounds and, and that's always been something I knew I could do. Like I, I, I couldn't, I wish I could go out there and Sam Cooke or Steve Perry, you know, don't stop believing in full voice and, and have that work for me. But I feel like I can develop this kind of harmonic palette that, uh, you know, and the older I get, the more I appreciate that for better or worse, um, people go, Oh, that's, that's what he does. You know, that's kind of a cool thing. Like I don't, I don't get blended in with hundreds of other bands or hundreds of other things. Doesn't mean everybody likes it, but, no, but it is a very distinct sound. It's an identifiable yeah. thing. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then you like have a strange, uh, like a strange odor wafting through a bar. <laughs> and then you have uh, uh, a song like Annalise, which is uh, just really trippy, crazy time signatures, you know, kind of stuff like that thrown in. Is that, you know, a song like that? I mean, that's sort of unexpected from you. So is that just you fooling around in the studio and, and seeing where some, how something goes? I've always been really over the years trying to always digest more and more music. So whether it's things like Snarky Puppy or, you know, uh, Jaga Jazzist or um, all these different things. And then the last year or so, I started working with a drummer named Jonathan Mover, who played with uh, sure, yeah, Joe Sanchez. Yeah. Jonathan's a monster. And he was putting together this kind of thing where we were focusing on learning some of these really cool, really old King Crimson, Bill Bruford, old Genesis things. And we were rehearsing a lot of that stuff. And it was funny because... He was like, you know, are you into the old prog stuff? And I was like, I just want to be honest. Like, Genesis to me was the hits with Phil Collins. Like, I didn't know the really old. I mean, I knew the Lamb Lies Down, like some of the Peter Gabriel stuff, but I didn't know the 15-minute right. song Genesis stuff. So to me, it was like a kid in a candy. I was like, oh, my God. Like, I had no idea these – or the King Crimson stuff. So spending a year with him and Rio Akimoto from Spock's from, Beard, uh, Spock's Beard is sure. playing with him, and Michael Sadler, who's – speaks amazing you know i couldn't you know yeah i'm definitely i was like a kid in a candy store i was like michael i saw you on mtv all the time <laughs> uh and just the greatest guys so those guys were so into it and so you know so uh 
PhDs in this stuff. And for me, it was like I had just discovered a brand new thing. Um, so a lot of that stuff, I think, seeps into your head when you start hearing music that you hadn't really spent a lot of time with. And I really grew a whole new appreciation for some of the adventurousness. I don't consider this record, my record, a pure prog record by any stretch. And I don't mean that by disrespect to a genre that's sustained itself forever. It's, it's an, but I had such a new appreciation for some of the intricacies and and uh, and flipping the switch on stuff. And it kind of opened my palate to, uh, you know, hey, I could do these things or well, I could try these different things. Well, you know what's weird? Uh, well, I want to ask about that other project that you, you're just talking about there, but we talk about this a lot on the website because the definition of prog, at least for the modern, like last 10 years or, or something like that has really evolved into where it's, it's not just yes and Genesis and, and, you know, dream theater anymore. It's very much, it can be a band that puts out 10, four minute songs, but those four minute songs are completely flipped on their heads and the, right. the same audience can go, wow, that's cool. Like it, and we get it. And, and it, Work so it's become much more of a broader umbrella. Um, so much that I have to say, I think like Water, the Water album, you know, your third record with Saigon Kick could totally be out now as a prog record, like, <laughs> and be like totally accepted in it's, that. It's been so amazing to me because my first initial things were like even doing something like uh, I, I, uh, Jeff Soto and I were going to do something at, at Prague Power, uh, the festival in, in Atlanta together mm. before the pandemic, and uh, it was like. You know, and, and there were lovely people the, and they invited us down there. And uh, I was like, oh, when they post this on the site, like, and they find out like I'm from Saigon Kick, I was like sitting at the keyboard going, I am going to get lit up. Like, there's going to be nothing but Beeler should be shot for even, you know, being associated with Prague or any of this kind of stuff. And it was the most unbelievably like embracing, nice, uh, welcoming group of a genre fans that I, I I just totally was taken aback by. So as this record started to happen and, and some people started to not call it a pure prog record, but started saying, Hey, it's really kind of, you know, pushing the envelope and doing some cool stuff in certain sections. People have been unbelievable. Like I just assumed it would be a very closed culture and it's kind of, you know, growing up in, as a metal fan or a, you know, a punk or a new wave fan, like you never, you wouldn't eat lunch at a table with someone that right, wasn't right. into, you know, no, you were, there was the you kiss had the, table. Uh, Iron Maiden people. Then you had yep. the Def Leppard people and they didn't like yeah. each other. No, you <laughs> couldn't even, you know, you had to separate the lunch times and everything. Right. Uh, but everybody's still been, been so welcoming and cool and non judgmental and non, you know, so far. I mean, I'm sure as we take, uh, as, as the record starts to pick up even more steam here, I, I'm, I'm always prepared for the, every time someone says something really nice, I just live in a world where I'm, I'm assuming any second now. The, uh, the horrible. I, mean, I, I really don't think so. I, I actually, I think it's, I, I mean, I don't know. It always sounds like, you know, he's just saying that or whatever, but it's like a really good album from, from beginning to end. It's interesting. The production is amazing. Um, the performances, like you said, all the people you have, the stuff you do. I mean, you're, you're an incredible guitar player also. So it's, uh, it's really, really a, a good fun record. Um, you know, it, talking about Saigon kick a little bit, which, it, can we talk about the band a little yeah, bit? Because I this is the first time, you know, I would have wanted to talk to you about them twenty years ago, but I didn't know you then. Um, but that's uh, bizarre. Cause I'm only twenty six. So. <laughs> oh, really? You look great. Uh, but uh, you know that band, and I know there's the whole for you getting lumped in with the hair metal is 
you know, not where, where you thought the band would be. And it was sort of like a bad thing. But I, yeah, I never got, you know, I just never got that. There was the Tricksters and the Cinderella's and the whatever. And then there was Saigon Kick for me was with the, uh, you know, it was more like with Extreme and, you know, sort of Queen sounding and sort of kind of over on the other side. I never, I never saw the things together. So I, I don't know where that even happened. I mean, where did you see yourself at the, when you were starting the band? Where where did you think the band was like at the time? I mean, we were really blissfully ignorant to how to market a band. And that didn't really come into our heads. So we made the first record, which was a pretty diverse record as well, had a ballad on it, had heavy punk stuff, all that kind of stuff. Um, and we wound up touring with, you know, all these different bands. I mean, we toured with Faith No More, Soundgarden. We played with the Ramones, played with Cheap Trick, um, played with Ozzy. And then we made the second record and the second record we were in Mexico shooting a video with the guy who had shot the documentary for Jane's Addiction, uh, the gift thing. And I got a call, I think it was from someone, it was either Jason Flom or Doug Morris or one of those guys. And I'm like, the station in Florida started playing the ballad from the record and it's exploding. It's like selling 10,000 records a week and like number one in phones. And it's just, it's just exploded. So, at that point, being kind of aware, like, wait a minute, because the hair metal bands, whom I have a lot of respect for, and there's some great bands in there and great songs and all that stuff. I, I'm not an elitist about anything. There's just good music and shit music, as far as I'm concerned. I don't mm -hmm. care what you're doing. Um, they never really accepted us because we were kind of weird and quirky and weren't part of that thing. And then we had the ballad, and as this, this shift was happening in uh, with grunge, those bands couldn't touch us. In fairness, Alice in Chains, Pantera, those bands' origins were in glam and right. hair metal, but they were just a little bit smarter than we were and made that transition a good 12 months before the death blow came to that, that genre. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we wound up, like you said, going down this middle area with a band like Extreme or maybe King's X to a certain degree, too, that kind of floated between uh, we weren't really embraced by the grunge bands and we weren't really, you know, embraced by the, the hair metal scene. Yeah. Um, and then you go and make the water album, which was sort of a big change, right? I mean, sound wise, everything, Matt's no longer in the band singing. I mean, I can imagine you handing that album to the record label and then being like, we don't know what to do with this. Well, the, the wonderful thing about the beginning of that, the origins of that record was we, we had uh, we had done, recorded the uh, Lizard record in Stockholm, Sweden, and uh, had a great degree of success with it. So we all decided as a band to go back to Sweden. So we're in Stockholm, and our manager at the time said, oh my God, the, the, the Swedish currency is so depressed at the moment. This is like literally the first couple of days we got there. I'm going to call Atlantic. I'm going to have them wire the album fund because we're going to get like double our money hmm. if we do it now. So that's a genius business move. Okay. Atlantic goes, all right, you know, I'm not sure. I mean, the band's already not within our reach in the sense of like the, their, their LA office or their New York office. We're kind of often, you know, uh, Scandinavia somewhere, but they wind up wiring the money to us. And then as classic bands do, we just, have an explosion of all explosions and Matt leaves 
like literally probably days after they wired all the money to us. And, you know, <clears throat> I can only imagine the meetings in New York of like, wait a minute, the, the blonde singer, you mean from the number one MTV video? Right. Just left the band after we wired all the cash. <laughs> but we were, again, because we were in Stockholm and not in New York or L.A. or even home in Florida, where it would have made big news. We were just like, oh, well, you know, Matt's gone. Why don't we just make the record? And uh, we just made the record. So, I mean, I, I mean, in the back of our minds, I mean, I'm sure there was this, you know, oh, well, you know, when Peter Gabriel left Genesis, I mean, that worked out pretty well for Phil Collins. I mean, we'll just make it didn't exactly work out that way, by the way, for, you know, if, for those historian uh, right. people. But uh, so we just made the record. And until we got back to the U.S. and started kind of like seeing what people were talking about, that's when it all started to kind of like, oh, there may be some issues here to deal with. I mean, but that's just part of being young. And I was so focused on being creative. Listen, it's a it's a completely insane in a good way album with 14 different styles of songs on it. And it's, and it's, and it's super cool. I remember just at the time for me, cause I was a, you know, prog at heart, even though I was at the time still listening to, you know, I don't know, Metallica and Queensryche and Pantera, right. but that was like, wow, this is just amazing. And it, it's just completely insane. And, uh, but I, yeah, I mean, I, for a record label, they, they don't know how to market that kind of well, thing. Well, the funny thing is, you know, the, uh, we, we want to finish in the record and Doug Morris and those guys here with the ballad on this record. I'm sure they were really sketchy up until that point. So they hear the, the ballad off of water and they're like, Doug is like, this is a smash. This well, is a wait, mass. Was that, would it be, I love you then? Was that, I love you. That's so they hear that and they go, wait a minute, there might be a chance that this actually goes on and does something. So they, it gets released in the U.S. and like literally tanks. And then like Spinal Tap fashion, like a year later, I get a call and like the label's basically about to drop us and it's no one cares. And you know, although by today's standards, it was a massive record. I think it sold 150,000 copies, you know. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I get a call like, you know, you're, you, you have like the number one record in Indonesia. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> So we wind up going at some point, uh, played a bunch of shows there to, to literally like packed arenas. Wow. Like the brink of your career being over to like military escorts playing four or five cities all throughout Indonesia, Bali, and had this whole kind of other thing happen in other parts of the world. So, yeah, it's just a it's one bumbling incident after another. Uh, you have a, an amazing uh, article that I found on it might be on your website, I think, or something where you write about. Uh, you know, the end of, of Saigon Kick and then almost getting another record deal and, and the whole process of oh, yeah, yeah. of that whole thing, that the ups and downs of that whole thing. It's just the most incredible. I mean, I know maybe it's not a fond memory for you to look back on on reading that, but it's the way you describe it and the, the story of, of how the ups and downs of all that is just, it's so amazing. It's incredible for anybody that gets a chance to read it. It's just, yeah, I, I think it's just, you know what I, I mean, the, I'm never, I've never been a, hopefully I'm not a, ever a bitter person, but I think the point was to say like, Hey man, anything you're doing, you know, progress, you're building a thing, you're building a business, a brand or a book or whatever you're trying to do. You know, you are, unfortunately life is going to kick you in the testicles a lot. And a lot of times the difference between, you know, it's a classic saying, but it's the person who gets up one more time, uh, and just 
keeps going, you know, and keeps going and keeps going. And that was really what I was hoping people would walk away from uh, by just kind of sharing that, because I think sometimes you get this impression that it's like this linear wonderfulness, you know, band at 18 gets record deal, goes on to multi-million dollar success, right. buys mansion, divorces wife, gets trophy wife, buys yacht, you know, gets Grammy, uh, is now honored at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Like that all happens like this. Yeah. And, uh, you know, at least I, I can't speak for everybody. Maybe it has happened for some. So real quick, I, I, I got sidetracked and I wanted to ask about that project. So you have uh, Rio Akimoto, Jonathan Mover and Michael Sadler. Is that going to be an album? Is that something you're working on? Is that just a show you were going to do? What What is that? We were initially, I think Jonathan's scope was to put these really like intensively hard, uh, demanding, progressive classics and do this kind of mashup of them um, uh, and, 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 and kind of not do a tribute show in the purest sense, but kind of like these chunks of just really, at least from my observation of as a guitar player, like, you know, where I was just like, when I started, when he sent me the list and I was like, oh, sure, you know, learning 10 songs, how hard can that be? And then I started taking the stuff out. I'm like, yeah, what? <laughs> um, so it, it, from a technical aspect, it was just brilliant. But then, yeah, getting to play with him and just develop that, that was initially part of it. And then obviously we were looking to do it a bunch of festivals and a bunch of shows, I think, this year at some point. Uh, but then the pandemic obviously kind of took the wind out of everybody's sails. So hopefully, you know, by the end of the year, early next year, depending on how everything rolls out, uh, we'll figure out the exact shape of it. Um, but it'd be, you know, it'd be amazing to do actual original stuff with them as well. I mean, we never got that far into the discussion. Anyway, listen, man, I got I've kept you here for a while. Um, always good to chat and good luck on the record. Uh, Jason Beeler and the Baron Von Bielski Orchestra. Did I, say I was right? offering a Samsung toaster to anybody who can say the title right, but <laughs> very close. Uh, Songs for the Apocalypse out January 22nd. Uh, just a killer record. Um, if you like m metal, if you like prog, if you like the Beatles, I think it's a good record. Just all around. So uh, good luck Thanks to you, man. Thanks so much for uh, having me, man. I, again, I really appreciate it. And uh, right, let's do it again. Absolutely. Talk to you soon. All right, bye. Thanks to Jason for the interview. Don't forget his new album, Songs for the Apocalypse, comes out on January 22nd. We're going to close with the single, Bring Out Your Dead. For upcoming news and interviews, please check theparkreport.com. Follow us on Facebook, at The Park Report on Twitter and Instagram. Download the podcast on all our podcast networks and follow us on YouTube. Thanks. Thanks.